In the first parish where I had my first job as a priest, I served as the curate or the assistant, and my boss, the rector, was really witty. It was in the Diocese of Alabama, and he was a a good storyteller and, and and a funny human being, which made him a good teacher. And he often said about when we were doing a Bible story in a Bible study or when he was preaching, he would often say that when thinking about this biblical text or story, the most important thing is the same thing that's the most important thing when you're looking to buy or rent a place to live and working with a real estate agent. Location, location, location. (laughs) And the location of this first reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah is... War with the Assyrians. It's about seven or eight hundred years before the common era, before the birth of Jesus. And what we call Israel at that time was really divided into two kingdoms or nations. Israel to the north, Judah to the south. At this time, the Assyrian Empire was spreading all over the place, taking over every country and tribe right around them. The Assyrians had already taken over Israel to the north murdered the king, deported, historians think, most of the Israelites to surrounding tribes, mixing the Israelites, and this for them was was unimaginable, mixing them with other races and cultures. All of that was going on to the north. Isaiah was probably riding in the south in Judah and had seen and his family had seen and experienced all of that. So the location of this reading is, in a word, trauma, crisis. And it's in the middle of all of that that Isaiah is, has his, um, or is given this, this vision that comes to him. I saw the Lord high and lofty seated on a throne and the hem of his garment filled the entire temple. Surrounding the Lord were seraphs and they had six, count them, six wings. With two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet and get this, with two they flew. Before we imagine all of that and and, and enjoy it, um, let's really pause and consider that psychological and historical location in which this vision comes or is crafted or both. Trauma and crisis. That's when Isaiah is, is, is given this thing. It's sometimes said that there are no atheists in foxholes. I'm certain that's not literally true, but it does speak to one of life's great mysteries, and that is for those of us who are lucky enough to survive trauma or crisis, and that's most people don't. You're only lucky if you do. But for those of us who do survive it, sometimes that crisis is paradoxically the very place in which our minds and hearts and souls are most open to the divine. I don't know why that is. I certainly wouldn't have planned it that way. Probably the, a part of the magic um, of this cathedral architecturally, and maybe the biggest or the most colorful piece of it is certainly 
the Claire Story windows. So these these incredible blue windows that are, that are on your right and your left, everybody in the pews, and they were created uh, by a gentleman named Connick, and he was the master window creator of the Episcopal Church in the early 20th century. He said of his windows that they are playgrounds for the afternoon sun. The, the first window on everyone's right is the window that's devoted to the prophets. And at the top, in the center panel, that the tallest of the prophets is Isaiah. And he's got orange and red. He's, he's wearing this orange and yellow. No, I I'm colorblind. <laughs> he has on a red robe and a yellow cloak. And those seraphs or angels are right above his right and left shoulder. And right below his feet is that live coal. If you can't see it, when you come up for communion or after the service, look up to your right and you can see it closely and wave to Isaiah and see if he waves back. But with the live coal there and the angels above Isaiah, it means that it's, it's an interpretation or a depiction of this very reading, which is just fascinating. And, and just thinking about it just for a moment, it's a wonderful and lovely pairing of text and imagination, of biblical story and color, which just should put us thinking about, and we can do this every time we're in this place to remember these windows, that these stories that we hear, when we finally internalize them, we see them. They, they open our mind and heart and eyes to, to, to color and spiritual realities that sometimes we miss. There's a great Old Testament scholar, Hebrew scholar, who says of Isaiah and Hebrew language more generally, it has the ability and the power to conjure up things. And that's what these windows are all about. There's a, a story that I've have thought about for a number of years, about 10 years actually, and I, I can't ever quite get it out of my mind and stop thinking about it. And it's a story about, in the 1700s, um, a botanist who got on a ship and went around the world. The ship he was on happened to be about 106 foot long, so it was a big ship. And at that time, in remote parts of the globe, ships were not unheard of, but they were uncommon. It was rare to see them, especially if you were in a remote place is this ship was going around the eastern coast of Australia. The botanist kept noticing things, as botanists do, and he kept a journal. And what he noticed that, that, that became a pattern that just intrigued, intrigued and dumbfounded him was that they would pass a place within a quarter of, of a mile from the coast, and they would pass people on the coast, and even people fishing in very small boats right next to the coast. And because he was within a quarter of a mile, the, the 106-foot-long ship was in a quarter of a mile of that coast, they had to see the ship, right? The ship could see them, they could see everybody. But the pattern he noticed, and that he documented it in his diary, was nobody waved. Isaiah didn't wave back. 
Nobody paused. Nobody looked up. They kept doing whatever they were doing. And it really troubled him. And he reached the conclusion in his diary that they couldn't see the ship because they had never seen one before. In other words, they couldn't see it because it was by definition unimaginable. Now, I'm certain that a a part of that story is apocryphal. I'm also certain that there are other explanations for why people on the shore wouldn't have seen the boat. They could have just been immersed or even mesmerized by what they were doing. Their dependence upon fishing or just a singular moment in time with only a circle of about 10 or 20 feet around them, that, that that explains why they didn't look up or look out. But the story, in one sense, does point to something that's absolutely true of human beings. There are realities and even people right in front of us that we do not see. What are the angels trying to tell us? Where is Jesus the Christ trying to lead us into that deeper water? If we are to hear that message, if we are to feel the brush of the angel's wings, if we are to go there, it will take faith and it will take imagination. And faith and imagination may be the same thing. In other words, as one angel whispered to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. The whole earth is full of his glory.